This is Data Basement. Hello and welcome back to the Data Basement podcast. I'm happy to be back after a short one and a half or so month pause. And we have a very exciting topic to talk about today. And it's all about performance computing in general. Our guest today is Chiago Antao, and he is a, a PhD from University of Liverpool, and he has focused in biomathematics, bioinformatics, and computational biology. In the past, he's also held titles such as research scientist and data engineer, among others. He's pretty much interested in all issues related to high-performance computing, automating and accelerating data processing, also efficient infrastructure management. Welcome to the show. How are you? Fine, thank you. It's, it's a real pleasure to be here, Daniel. Great. Yeah, it's definitely great to have you. And also, I forgot to mention, you you recently released a, uh, you have written a couple of books. You recently released one mm -hmm. called the High Performance Python for Data Analytics. And you also, in the past, released one called Bioinformatics with Python Cookbook. So we're going to be going to be talking about Python extensively in the podcast today, primarily because it has become the go-to language for a lot of uh, mm -hmm. data people. Uh, in the industry now. But before we get to, uh, to that, always like to learn more about the background uh, of the different guests that come on the show. So it'll be great to learn more about you and your story and, and how you got to where you are today. Okay, so I, I actually started, I, I started by doing a computer science degree and I, I went on working for, you know, standard enterprise stuff. But I, I really went as to, to have an impact in poverty diseases. So I ended up doing a, a PhD in tropical medicine in, um, in uh, actually epidemiology of, of infectious diseases. In my case, it was malaria. But the interesting thing, which is kind of a side comment, is that I actually know many of the people doing the, the models for COVID that end up uh, informing the policies that, that are affecting us today. So I actually do, I, I do know some of those models. I've worked on on some code for models of malaria in, in the, the case I worked with, but I actually did uh, uh, do know some of the models and some of the people that, that are, are somewhat in the news and, and influencing some, some of, of, of our lockdown. So I, I, I did the, this PhD 10 years ago, but when I left the PhD, biology had, had become a big data. When I started it, everything was on a floppy disk. When I ended, it was like, massive clusters. So I think the, in the UK nowadays, the biggest computing cluster after GHEQ, which is the secret service, is the, uh, the Sanger Institute, which is the, the, one of the two biggest genetics centers in, uh, in, uh, in, in the planet. And so it, it, it's, it's suddenly, I, I did my, my original degree in, in parallel processing and stuff like that. So suddenly it, everything coalesced very easily. And I've been working with the uh, with genetics data mostly in, in, the, in the last 10 years and in the processing of, of, of genetics data every day, more and more interested in, in, the, in the data side of things and, and less and less in the, in the genetics and epidemiology of things. But, but then again, having the two sides allow, allows me to work in, 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 in the biotech field quite comfortably. Got it. Yeah, that's a very interesting background. And we're going to be talking about today also about some of the challenges that are faced in, the, in that particular industry, which we hear a lot of uses of data processing in spaces like uh, finance, 
and in industries like advertising where there's a lot of data being used uh, to try to model user behavior and drive behavior in general. But let's start talking about what are some of the data challenges that you encounter throughout your career in the area specifically around bioinformatics, computational biology, which as of late have made a serious process because more and more uh, genomic data has been uh, process or, or it's available to, to explore and analyze. Mm -hmm. So why don't we start on what are some of the key challenges of dealing with that data in general? The key challenge is, is human resources or the lack of it. So when you see many of these projects going on and I've been involved in, in projects in, in the UK and in several places in, in the US now, what you see is a lack of enough human resources that are competent on both sides of the equation, especially on the data or on the data processing side. And that is at the end of the day, the, the biggest problem, because if you look at the data we are talking, so there, there is hardly any real time constraints. It's mostly, we are talking about hundreds of terabytes of data, worst case scenario, and it's mostly lack of human resources. The data itself, the way it, it, it's, it's conceived, there is a lot of noise and a lot of, 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 of data analysis needed to clean up the data nowadays with, with the current technologies to do genomics. So there is a lot of data cleanup of of DNA letters, literally, because what you have is when your genome is read, the, the reads are not totally reliable. So you have to read a lot of data and then you have to stack the data and you have to have procedures, which are, which are statistical procedures, not normally based on Bayesian analysis, which are actually very, which are very sophisticated and are mostly being developed by universities and then applied in, in the private sector. And, and that is a big part of the equation. The, the second part of the equation is, is data analysis. And that most of the analysis is done with bespoke um, algorithms or with stuff like uh, principal components analysis, for example. There, there is, for instance, in, in, if we talk about the, the usage of common statistical techniques, if you take there is a very interesting analysis done on genomics from European populations where they took all the genomics analysis, they, they, they removed all, all, all noise, and then they, they did principal components against genomic data. And, and then the position of principal components one and principal components two of, of the samples more, are, are more or less similar to the map of Europe. So you'd find Russians in, in, in a certain, corner, British in another corner, the, uh, the Portuguese and, and the, the Spanish in another one, and the French in the middle, more or less. So you, you, you take that, that, that genomic analysis and, and that principal components analysis, and you are actually able to, uh, in the, with human populations, you, it's not very difficult to come up with, with the geographic, genetics mimics geography using, a, you know, unsupervised learning, standards unsupervised learning techniques. But that, that's one of the many, one of the many issues, but th those are, so data cleanup and then mostly bespoke uh, statistical processes and some that are reasonably well known like unsupervised learning. And you, you start seeing uh, some application of, of, of more standard machine learning te techniques also a, a little bit, but it's mostly 
bespoke based on on some statistics uh, methods. Excellent. Yeah. So I think that that is a probably a trend that is common across industries and across uh, disciplines too. Is this whole uh, phenomenon that you mentioned that there's now a lot of data, or, or there's an increasingly increasingly more and more data being generated uh, for multiple reasons, but being able to make sense of it, being able to process it effectively is really the, the first step in that challenge. And I think that leads us to uh, the next question and probably a lot of what we're gonna be talking about today. And that is the usage of the language called Python. So as I mentioned at the very beginning, there's been an increasing, it's been increasing popularity in using Python for data processing and for doing a lot of this stack. So I, w- uh, I wanted to understand from you and, and throughout your work so far, uh, why do you think is that Python has become this primary tool for data engineers and data scientists to, to start processing data at scale? A, a fantastic library ecosystem of libraries. Uh, there, there are two parts. One are the libraries, so NumPy, Pandas, and it, the fact that, that it is a language that is also easy to pick and it's declarative. So you have to think that lots of people working in this field their background is biology or, or statistics, uh, and we, we can get to the statistics part in, in a minute, but uh, you simply, uh, lower, langu- lower level languages like Java or C or Rust won't cut it because people normally have a problem to solve and they need a, a language that's more declarative. So the, in the past, you'd see Perl, which disappeared, and Python at the big. So, if you go back 15 years ago, Perl was the big, the big elephant in the room. With time, it completely collapsed, and Python now it's it's all pervasive. The, the real, the real alternative to Py, uh, to, uh, to Python nowadays is R, uh, because uh, it's it's very strong on the statistical side, and uh, if uh, if you do statistics, if you do biology, you do statistics. So R still very, very important. And then you see some, for, for high performance stuff, you, you, you tend to see a bit of Java or C, and that's actually a, an important issue that, that you can get back in, into the future. But the inner core is normally implemented. It's either the Python libraries that are implemented in C or Fortran or dependent on, on libraries that are C or Fortran like NumPy, for example, uh, or it's then implemented in, in uh, our separate processes implemented in other languages. But to do the, so for doing Python is, is, is everything, right? So it, it's it, for pipelining, Python is everything. So all, all the, all, when, you are, when you are assembling the bits and, and bobs on, on the top or on the high level uh, pipelining, uh, Python is, is essentially what, what everybody uses, and then and, and then you see a lot of critical mass uh, occurring. By s- suddenly, you have libraries to to do specific pipelining of of bioinformatics tools, and or you have uh, or you have web systems to make to make uh, pipelines for f- for users that don't know how to program that are developed in Python. Also, and, and suddenly the critical mass grows and grows and grows and grows. And it, it, it is the de facto language in the field with, I would say, with a, a little bit of R uh, because of, of the, the strong statistical, which is also a great approach, but it's more on the analytical side and less on the data moving, uh, on the moving uh, data realm. It sounds, uh, one of the first things you mentioned is that the, the ecosystem of libraries that are available in Python has is, is very extensive for data processing. And over the past, 
several years, it, it has become more and more robust, so to speak. So could you highlight like a few examples of uh, how some of these now data processing libraries that are readily available help professionals like you in dealing with massive data growth and, and handling uh, this very large data problems? There are several examples there. So first of all, you start seeing a, a big ecology of, of libraries around the, to the topics of multiprocessing. So Dask, for example, which essentially allows you to do multiprocessing on top of, of Pandas data frames, which I suspect if, if, you have, if you have people from the finance side, that's very, very common there. So these are libraries that, that, that give you a high level interface to dealing with, with data. NumPy and SciPy are especially important here because sometimes we need to, to develop bespoke algorithms. So we need to, to have strong linear algebra interfaces. And sure, you, you have the stack and on the bottom you have like those libraries like Glass or LAPAC, which are C and Fortran based, right? But most programmers in the field uh, simply don't have the time or the interest or, or the knowledge to go to that level. And they, 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 they need a higher, a higher level language. And so there are all, uh, there are the, the, mostly those two dimensions, the actually three dimensions. One is the, the implementation of, of bespoke algorithms. Uh, the other is the pipelining of different parts of, of the processes going, uh, going around. And the other is the, uh, the ability to, to use computational resources being the cloud or, or academic clusters in, in, an efficient, in an efficient way. So, so it, it's substantially more difficult, for instance, with, uh, with R to, to have a, a, an existing framework to do proper parallel processing. You have that, but it's, it's a bit more cumbersome. And R it actually is, is, is great for, for that analysis. But, but then again, wh when you are looking for the, for the all integrated solution, all these, these other approaches normally lack something and Python lacks nothing really. And at the end of the day, I think that, that that's it because you know, it's, it's a safe approach. Yeah, and I'd like to spend a little bit more time talking about, so you brought up the, the concept of, of cloud, which we have been talking about in the technology industry for now, probably over a decade, but it, it seems like it's finally here, it's finally picking up industries that uh, before were thought that wouldn't get on the cloud are now on the cloud because they had uh, sensitive data and things of that nature. And we have even seen very sensitive government applications uh, that are also running on the cloud now. So there's almost like no excuse for uh, no matter what, what data you're handling to be on the cloud. Keeping that in mind, how the Python language uh, specifically better suited or how, how it can be used for developing cloud applications at a faster rate than say, for example, R or the other alternatives. And, and what I'm trying to get to at is like, Part of the reason it seems like uh, Python, based on what you have said, has, has picked up steam is because of its applicability in the cloud. Can you talk a little bit about what are some of the complexities of data processing in the cloud and why uh, it is perhaps better suited for those applications? I, I'm not, I, I'm actually not totally sure it's better suited because most of the solutions are brute force solutions. So for instance, let's think about uh, AWS. So what people do is they start uh, an auto-scaling group and imagine that you have 
you can scale in many ways. So if you have many individuals to process, imagine that you have thousands of samples, you can start thousands of machines, but because uh, humans have, have chromosomes, you can parallelize by chromosome, for example. And so it becomes a, a, a brute for most, the, the truth is that most of the approaches are brute force based. And one of the things that, that so I, 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 I'm not I, I'm not in any way against using uh, cloud solutions. I, I, I it's it's I, I've managed. I mean, when I was at at University of Montana, I I managed on-premise infrastructure, and I don't miss it at all. Uh, manage on-premise infrastructure, it's a pain. You know, the disk that goes down and all that stuff. You don't want to, want to deal with that. But the cloud has more or less the opposite problem, and that that is a bit of what uh, justified part of my work in the book that I'm currently written that, that we've talked about, about our performance Python, is that I, I saw this kind of mentality. It was, okay, this solution is not fast enough. Okay, that's easy. We, instead of spinning one machine, we spin 10 machines uh, because they are cheap. And okay, but now, uh, but now we have a problem with accessing the, say, the file system for some reason. Okay, and then we are going to use a proprietary interface, like say, I'm, I'm going to use AWS technology examples. Uh, so, for instance, let's use Dynamo instead of using the instead of using the file system. And okay, Dynamo is, is proprietary, so you, be, you 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 become vendor locked, and it's actually not cheap. If you start, if you actually use use it for lots of data, and what I've noticed is that the there are other simpler solutions. For instance, sometimes you go and you look at the implementation and you see that the implementation was done on the rush because there are deadlines. And if you look at it uh, with with some careful eyes, with profiling tools, you see that there is something there that you can easily get an order of magnitude more speed because. For instance, you are uh, appending to a list that's very big, but but maybe a set is enough. And instead of having the complexity of of appending, of adding an element to a list which is normally or or, or searching in a list which is normally linear, you might if you use a, a dictionary, you are, it's an hash table, so the complexity is log lin is log, is log n. So you, you, it's very easy that you get one or two order of magnitude changes there by changing sometimes the line of code. And, and then you do this and, and suddenly you are still using the cloud, but instead of using 100 machines or a thousand machines, as I've seen, uh, you, you use two or three and you just made a, a, a small change. And one of the, the arguments that I think it, it, it's, it's sometimes dangerous is, is that, okay, you have to spend developer time here. But the truth is when you scale, the cloud, you also have to spend developer time managing auto-scaling groups on AWS, for example, uh, managing processes that die, uh, doing all the, the finance of the cloud, which is which is which which is not a, an easy exercise. So um, it 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 seemed to me that there are sometimes you have to scale, sometimes you have to use thousands of machines, sometimes you have to use proprietary approaches, but other times you can just look at your code and okay, I can. This, I'm actually using the wrong data structure here. Or maybe if I take this little bit piece of code that's implemented in Python, which is a slow language, and it, it's not politically correct to say that languages are slow, but Python is slow for, for two main reasons. One is it's a dynamic language, so it's supposed to be slow, and, and the main implementation is 
is not efficient. It, there is, it's not a, there, the parts of it are a language problem, but the other parts are the, 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 the standard Python uh, implementation is not taught for efficiency. And sometimes you, you can take a little bit of that code and if you re-implement it on, in a different language like C or, or, or something like that, you, you gain two orders of magnitude. And suddenly, if you join one, these things start to, to have a multiplying effect. And suddenly, you, 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 you cannot put uh, those uh, nice things on your CV anymore because you're not using them. But you actually solve the problem for the business in a cost-efficient way. Uh, in in and, and, and there is a, a lot of value to be done there. And I, I gave this example. Another example could be uh, understanding how file systems work, because if 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 you are if you need to write thousands of files or hundreds of thousands of files, if you put it on a single directory, normally the, the, the algorithm of the file system won't hold that very well. But if you shard on directories, then suddenly it's again orders of magnitude faster and maybe you don't need Dynamo anymore. For example, you can use a file system or you can use S3, which is substantially cheaper and it's, it's a, it, it locks you way less. Uh, so I, I, wouldn't, so I, I think in a sense, I apologize because I, I went in the opposite direction, but I don't think there is nothing special in, in Python for, for scalability. And it, 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 there is no need for, for there to be because most of the problems that we are solving, there is a little bit of brute force and that's enough. You, you have more individuals to process. You don't need to be very, very sophisticated, but you should be sophisticated in understanding the limitations. And sometimes they are actually easier to overcome than it seems. And, and, and you end up with less buzzworthy solutions, but they are 10 times faster and 100 times cheaper. And when you need, and, and when you actually extracted all the all the power, then when you scale, uh, you know that you you are actually scaling uh, something that's your starting point is substantially more efficient, and, and the scaling is, is also more economical. So no, Python has problems, but they are easy to address, and you can still use Python, but you have to be careful with the way you write code for efficiency and how you, you can outsource stuff to other languages and, and to foreign libraries to actually make the solution scale uh, for performance. Yeah, I really like that answer. I'll, I'll probably spend a little bit of time uh, re-emphasizing some of the points that you have made. And I totally agree with you. And, and there is definitely that perception that because cloud infrastructure is not readily available, um, it is orders of magnitude easy. And in fact, if you look at a lot of the business cases from uh, large enterprises, a lot of the driving force, because there is some truth about the, the cost efficiencies of moving to the cloud, but also, I, I also jokingly uh, say, uh, yeah, the cloud is cheap until you start using it, right? Meaning uh, <laughs> if, you're, if you're not careful about, uh, it, it's not necessarily cheaper uh, and, and you have to be mindful of those optimizations like, like you brought up, uh, but also just really thinking about what, what, the, what is the problem you're trying to address. So I think you, you summarized that uh, very well. So in, in almost like to get like, where do we go from here? So it sounds like the, the adoption of the language is, it's, it's obvious, right? I think it, mm -hmm, most, mm -hmm. most of the folks that are in the, in the data analytics, data processing, data engineering uh, roles are, are is their, is their go-to. Uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You have identified some, some key 
uh, shortcomings about the, the implementation because perhaps that, that was not like the original intention of the language perhaps mm -hmm. was not to be uh, the, the fastest data processing language there is. Uh, but now that there, 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 there are ways to Im improve the performance uh, by making the changes that you suggested where some things may need to be implemented outside of the language, so to speak. Where do you see uh, the industry going? Like what, what are some of the key trends uh, about the future of the Python community and how can some of the things that you have highlighted in, in your work and, and in the book uh, that you have published about these optimizations, how can this shape perhaps uh, the way that the language is used across the board? I, I think, so I've, I've spent quite some time in the industry. So, so it's, it's, it's almost 30 years or so, or, uh, or 20, many years. And I've seen many uh, languages change and many solutions change from, from Microsoft-based technologies to Java and now to Python. And I, 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 I think Python from a software engineering perspective and, and, uh, and the software ecology perspective is here to stay. It's, it's difficult to think, okay, there is something else. I think there are lots of shortcomings with, with, uh, with the language, but if you look at the alternatives, really there is nothing there to replace it that, that, that seems better. So for better or for worse, I, I, the first thing is that Python is going to be with us for a long time. Is, there is nothing that we see replacing it in, in the short term or in the medium term, actually. Uh, and and th that is the, the first thing. The second thing is that many of the problems are addressable. And what most, so most of us will not be working on uh, Facebook uh, or Google or whatever, most of our problems are, are not, so the solutions that work for Netflix, probably for most of us, uh, we, we deal with slightly smaller problems and that's fine, let's be realistic. And oh, by the way, if, if you deal with big problems, then, then optimizing your code, it's then it's, it's not op, uh, optional, it's mandatory. So, but, but, but I, 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 I think that, the biggest problem that I see that needs to be addressed is a lack, we need more education, more technical education. And that's why, that's why writing books motivates me. Some of the problems that you see uh, tend to be come from naivety and lack of experience. And it's not that you need, again, you don't need to know very complex distributed or parallel algorithms that do lots of messaging, no. You need to have a, a good ba basic grasp of, of of algorithms of how file systems work, and that I think that there is lots of space there to grow. And I think more. I, I think nowadays the answers are more machine learning AI and blah, blah. I think that's probably too easy of an answer. And I think many problems are honestly moving data around, moving it efficiently. And in that regards, I do feel that education is, is actually a point that, that's lacking here. And we could, when I look at, at, at many solutions, uh, the biggest problem that I see is that, other than that, uh, there is lots of consolidation. The libraries that are there do their work, do their work fairly, uh, fairly decently, uh, do, the, do the work fairly decently. Uh, you see 
some non-standard ways of computing like uh, GPU computing appearing and they, they do have their applications and, and, and they are quite efficient. But I, there is some consolidation going on, I would say. I, I don't see radical new stuff for today for the day-to-day -to -day work occurring. I see the need for uh, more maturity uh, in, in software engineering practices and in training and in education. And I think that's the biggest issue, in my opinion, going on. Excellent. Yeah, I think I think that's a the great per perspective and 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 a really uh, interesting view of of how you see the the whole ecosystem of of data data processing and, and data analysis evolving. So I think we've come pretty much to the end. I, I'd love to continue this conversation because it's, it's really interesting. But I definitely want to give you an opportunity to talk about uh, about your book and any particular thing you have going on, project, personal projects, or, or anything else. Just wanted to give you some time uh, to talk about what you have going on. Uh, so uh, currently, I'm still writing the book. So the, 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 I have the first book out, and it's a second edition. But I'm currently, uh, the, the book is, is uh, available. Uh, the first chapters are already available on, on, on my name site. And I, uh, my concern is uh, to try to help disseminate some technical knowledge about how to do uh, uh, performance, uh, performance computation with Python, and and that is my my main uh, my main consideration. And uh, there is a back to the principles uh, idea going on here, where okay, let's stop and think a, a little bit about the basic problems, and that is what. I'm trying to address my perspective when when I write the book and when I when I when I do most of this work is is fairly holistic, in the sense that first of all we want to have sustainable code that is efficient from a, a, an economic perspective. Uh, so we, we want uh, we want solutions that are fast that you don't spend a million dollars a year on your cloud bill, uh, and that is. That is a problem that we are trying to solve. There is there are also ethical considerations about uh, how much energy we are spending with horrible, inefficient solutions and the, the consequences for the whole environment about that. And so I, I, those I I, I I I start there from from uh, what are the economical implications for business, what are the the, the broader implications and I'm very very motivated from 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 that perspective is that efficiency computational efficiency bring it's a win-win proposition and that's what what is motivating me it's it's so it, it comes from from the top from the the implications that our uh, our profession has in the broader world and in the bottom line of companies and and I think this can be very well aligned if, if we drop the buzzwords a little bit and uh, try to go uh, back to first principles because again most of us are not doing most of this stuff is not rocket science so we we can and we should be comfortable with with the basic building blocks of our industry which is in, in many many cases consolidating and that is my main driver for the book and for all the stuff that i, I i'm doing nowadays but uh it's my. I have other side projects, but when you are writing a book, 
everything else stops because it, it's 10 full-time jobs uh, to add to the to the to the full-time job that exists already <laughs> yeah for sure i can only imagine yeah and i appreciate uh, your perspective on on the sustainability side of of, of all these strands of data processing and you're right it, it's important uh, to keep in mind not only uh, the bottom line implications for 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 corporations and for businesses but also there is an effect of more and more software being deployed and to your point being able to do that efficiently and in a way that maximizes the utilization of of, of, of resources and and trying to minimize the the perhaps the footprint of, of the code that has on, on our natural environment is definitely something worth considering. So thank you for that. And thank you for joining us today. Uh, I really enjoyed this conversation. I hope we uh, can have you again at some point in the future. Uh, so thanks again for joining. It was a real pleasure, Daniel. It was a real pleasure. Thank you. That's it for the show today. If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe.